welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. And welcome to, to everyone online. It's a great joy to be here. Um, we, we love coming down and being amongst you. I'd like to relate a story from the Bible tonight that illustrates the immeasurable goodness of the grace of God. I don't know if you listened to all the words we sang, but grace appeared in two of the songs we sung. It's everywhere. The grace of God. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We need grace. We need to move in it. We need to... You know, I think I felt grace. I moved in grace before someone told me about it, and they said, oh, yeah. And I said, yeah, that's what it is. And it's not theory, although sometimes it's good to know it. It's good to see it in Scripture. But I love stories, and I love stories from the Scripture. And this is a story I've known of for many years, but actually when I reread it again a few weeks ago, I was so shocked positively at the immensity and the greatness of the goodness of the grace of God. And as we just, as I share this story with you and, and, and one or two comments. Let's open our spirits to receive again the bountiful grace. Let's be washed in his grace tonight. It's him. You know, that's the one thing that John, when he was writing his gospel, he was maybe looking for words to be inspired. What was that first thing I noticed about, ah, the law came through Moses, but grace and peace came through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, He brought it When Paul was writing to Timothy, his young son in the Lord, he said this to him, Timothy, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Can I say to you, the nature of grace is that it strengthens you. It strengthens you. It changes us. It's the power of God. It's the glory of God. It's his righteousness. It's his holiness. Calvary is grace. The shed blood is grace. The efficacy of Jesus Christ is grace. That's, that's, that's how it's made. It's, it's all consuming. It's all wonderful. It's how we live by grace. You know, grace is perhaps more of a New Testament word than an Old Testament concept, although, of course, it is mentioned in the Old Testament. So, for example, Noah found grace. We find Jesus. He, he, he brings grace. And, and it's sometimes translated as favor in the Old Testament because this is a story from the Old Testament. But there is another word used a lot in the Old Testament which is linked and describes grace. And it's a, it's a word I've known about for many years, but actually it's become new to me. In fact, I bought a book about it. It was, it was titled this, and I just bought it because I, something captivated my heart. And it's the Hebrew word hesed. And it occurs over 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. And translators struggle to translate hesed. It can mean loving kindness or mercy. 
Someone described Hesed as this, when the person from whom I have to expect nothing, it gives me everything. That's Hesed. So whenever we read in the Old Testament about deliverance, enabling, enlightenment, guidance, forgiveness, hopes, praise, preservation, etc., it's all based on God's Hesed. Get to know the God of Hesed. Get to know the, the Lord of grace. His, his nature is often described as abounding in Hesed. When uh, those men in Nehemiah 9 were praying that great prayer, they had this, you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. That's, that's Hesed. I, I want to know more. I want to know his character. I don't just want to know it. I want that, that sense, that revelation of his presence. Now, the person we're going to look at, he's mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible. That's three times more than Father Abraham. And he's also mentioned over 50 times in the New Testament. In fact, some scholars describe this man as a New Testament man in an Old Testament era. His name, of course, is David. God's redemption ran through his family. He was frequently the vehicle, the means by which God displayed his hesed, his kindness, his compassion to redeem his people. He was a shepherd. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was a writer. He was a giant slayer. He was a, a supreme warrior. He was a prophet. He was Israel's greatest king. The, the Lord Jesus mentions Isaiah and David the most in the New Testament. He quoted him the most. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet, and yet, he very, came very close to blowing it. He came very close to giving it all away. He came very close to, to, to negating everything that had been appointed and given to him. You know, there, we all have our blips and we all make mistakes. David had, and he'd previously written Psalms during earlier times of crises. He wrote Psalm 34, 57, 63. And even at that time with the incident with Bathsheba, in fact, he broke five of the Ten Commandments over that. He, he again poured out his heart in, 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 in Scripture, Psalm 51. What a, what a wonderful psalm when you're blowing it. But this, this account, this story that we're going to look at tonight. There is no record of him ever writing a psalm about it or consulting with Jehovah or even acknowledging God during this time in his life. He, he, he really did. I was shocked again when I read it and then shocked again when I saw this immeasurable goodness of the grace of God when apparently he had nothing left really but God who is rich in mercy and grace. Have you experienced that? And this is that story. And I would just say, just allow the Holy Spirit to minister in our hearts a sense and his impartation of grace for today and for tomorrow and for whatever is ahead. And I want you to go to your Bibles. We're going to skip through quickly a few chapters, and then we're going to land on one chapter and then conclude. Okay, so let's go to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. We're going to start the story at the end of chapter 18, 1 Samuel 18, and we read that Saul was afraid of David for various reasons, 
and Saul became David's enemy continually. Saul was a powerful man. You didn't want him to be your enemy. And in, in, so, so David, he, he goes on the run. Uh, I'm passing over now to uh, uh, chapter 22. Um, therefore, David departed. Sorry, at the end of 21. Um, this is a culmination of much pressure on David's life. I want you to get the picture here, and then it helps you. Contrasts are great. When you see how much he endured, how much he blew it, and then how much the restored factor of the Lord came to him. So he's on the run. Perhaps there's a price on his head. There's a bounty on his head. Saul has maybe sent out people to assassinate him. He's, he's running. He's fleeing for his life. And at one of those moments at the end of chapter 21, verse 10, he arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. This is in Philistine. And the uh, servants of Achish said to him, is this not David? And, uh, and Achish began to get uh, um, suspicious of him. So, so it says of David in verse 12, he was very much afraid and he fear breeds erratic behavior. He, he pretended to be mad. He wrote a, a psalm about this time explaining how he was feeling. But anyway, he gets out of there and in chapter 22, he departs, he escapes, and he comes to this famous cave of Adullam and uh, people flock around him. 400 men come, probably with their wives and their, and their children, and they begin to, to get things together. We realize and we read that that. Saul now is, is up to the ante. He's after him. Um, chapter 24, David spares Saul's life. Chapter 25 is the death of Samuel. If there was someone who could rescue David on earth, it was Samuel. He's gone. Uh, chapter 26, David spares Saul a second time. David is moving in Hesed. David is moving in grace. He is not going to kill God's anointed. And then at the end of chapter 26, we read this last verse. Saul said to David, finally, I think Saul's beginning to see the light here. He says, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also shall prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Hallelujah. He went on his way. But what way did he go? This is important. Um, and instead of reaching out to Jehovah for guidance and direction, he makes a decision to escape to the land of Israel's enemy and seek sanctuary there. And he visits King Achish for the second time, the king of Gath. By the way, Gath means winepress, and so it proved to be for David, for here he was pressed like never before. When you're hard-pressed in life, that's the time you need to turn to the God of grace and have a sense of that in your spirit, of the grace of God. So let's read verse 1. This is the chapter. This is the first really important part of the story we're coming to. If you Just have a look at this. Verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Hello? God has protected him for six or seven years from the hand of Saul. What's he saying that for? And then he says this, there is nothing better 
for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of Israel. There is nothing better for me to, to go into alien, pagan territory. What about his anointing back in chapter 16 when the Holy Spirit came upon him and dwelt upon him? He's lost sight. He's lost vision. And so the sad story begins in, here in chapter 27, perhaps, or so, and when David said something in his heart. He may not have said it out loud. He may not have said it to anyone. He may not have said it to God, but he said something in his heart. He fed some interior well. We need to watch out for this. What we say in our heart is tremendous part to shape our thinking, to shape our actions, to, to even our whole destiny. You know, there were, there, were, there were these musicians called the Psalms of Korah. David would have heard their psalms. David would have heard their songs. They wrote a number of songs. In Psalm 42 and 43, they say this three times. It's repeated three times. They say, my soul, why are you downcast? Have you ever said that to yourself? Why are you depressed? Why are you feeling like this? Why are you disturbed within me? This ability to speak to their own soul. And then they give the answer. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And even when our situations seem impossible, remember that he is the God of full of grace and unlimited resources. We can afford to hope in him, amen? We can afford to hope in him. But what does he say? Now I shall perish by the hand of Saul. This was a word coming out of he's feeding from some discouragement rising in his heart. Maybe he just got tired and weary of running from Saul. And even though that seems to have ended, it's had its effect on his life. And instead of turning to the God of grace to receive strength, he goes down in the opposite direction. And in his discouragement, he conveniently forgets God's past deliverance. I came across this little fable someone wrote, and it is a fable, and I don't really like fables about the devil, but I just thought this kind of sums up times in our life. This kind of sums up what happened to David. So here's the story. Once upon a time, the devil decided to have a garage sale because he wanted to clear out some of his old tools to make room for new ones. After he set up his wares, a fellow dropped by to see what he had to sell, and arrayed in a long table were all the tricks of his infernal trade. Each tool had a price tag. In one corner was a shiny implement labeled anger, 250 euro. Next, it was a curved tool labeled sloth, laziness, 380 euro. As the man searched, he found another tool, criticism, 500 euro. Jealousy, 900 euro. Oh, he said, there's a few good tools here. And then out of the corner of his eye, the man spotted a beaten up old tool with a price tag of 12,000 euro. And curious, he asked the devil why he would offer a worn out piece of junk for just such an exorbitant price. The devil said, well, actually, I'm upgrading it and I'm getting rid of this old one. It's expensive because it has been used so much and it's very effective. What is it, said the man? Oh, the devil said, it's discouragement. It always works when nothing else will. You know, and many of us can testify to the truth of this little fable. We know from experience, dis 
discouragement can be used to keep us from moving ahead. And in fact, it can cause us to turn around and to go back out among the Philistine people, so to speak. When anger won't stop us, when, when lust or envy has no foothold, there's always dis discouragement comes. This is one of his number one tools, along with deception. The dictionary defines discouragement as anything that makes us less confident and hopeful. Hope in God. Sometimes when we feed that inner well in our life of dis discouragement, suspicion, cynicism, these are things will rise up. So discouragement is anything that takes courage out. And conversely, encouragement is what puts courage and hope within our hearts. Okay. So he says, there's nothing better for me to do. And he, he heads over into the the land of the Philistines and reconnects with his old friend, King Akish. There's always someone there who gives a bit of a friendly, ah, come on, welcome back. And so he goes in. Amazing that he leaves the land of anointing, the land of God's people, the place where God has placed him, the place where his name is, Jehovah's name was on the people of Israel in those days. And he turns around and goes into enemy territory. But you know, similar is happening today. I meet people who maybe once enjoyed to being in the body of Christ. They, they once enjoyed being part of the inheritance of the sons of God. And strangely, they decide their future is better off out there amongst those who are alien or in many cases opposed to the kingdom of God. What a tragedy. We need to pray. Lord, bring them back. Open their eyes that they may see. He says, verse 1, Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his land. But previously, David had trusted in the Lord to keep him. And Saul isn't going to despair of him. If he heads to the land of the Philistines, Saul will probably be delighted. You know, even Saul wouldn't have been able to drive into the land of the Philistines. But discouragement and despair are powerful enemies, and they send David away into this land. At this time, King Achish, he receives him, and they seem to get on and hold up a friendship. And David says, I think I will dwell here. And King Achish says, oh, he said, that's wonderful. Maybe it's because they had a, con a common enemy in Saul. Maybe it's because at this stage, David had 600 fighting men with him. And King Achish said, I can use these. And so David says, can I have a bit of territory? Maybe a town. So the king gives David Ziglag. And this is a bit of a, I don't know. But this is a story of a zigzag to Ziglag. It really is. Through many ups and downs and twists and turns, he ends up in Ziglag. Now, interesting, when in verse 4 we read, it was told... Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So David gets immediate relief, short-term relief. And sometimes that happens. We abandon the things of the Lord. He says, oh, no more meetings, no more this. Oh, it's a bit of freedom. It was getting a bit claustrophobic. We can bring all sorts of things. Beware of these moments. They can shape your life for the next year or years. You've got to take that. There was a bit of relief, but it was very short-term. In fact, if you read that chapter, you read David went quickly, very much downhill. He became a mercenary. He became a deceiver. He was telling the king that he was off chasing the Israelites, but in fact, he was just 
uh, marauding around, killing and raiding some of the villages. And then in chapter 29, I want to bypass that, yeah. We're coming to 29. He's in a place where he never thought he'd be. Let me read this. The Philistines, they gather together at their armies at this place, and they're, they're going to make war against the children of Israel. Verse 2, And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with a kiss. You're always hiding a bit when you're away from God. You're always living off your wits. Then the princes of the Philistines, they saw him out of the corner of their eyes. They said, What's, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Akish, he says, well, uh, this is David. He's, he's, he's for us. Uh, uh, I've no fault in him at the end of verse 3 since he defected to me. Defection. After defection comes rejection. The princes of the Philistines said, well, we don't want him amongst us. And David's really upset that the Philistines don't want him to fight against the people of God. Incredible how far this man has gone. And so he, he, he argues against it. And he says in verse 7, you know, I don't want to um, um, displease the lords of the Philistines. I mean, can you imagine... Seven years earlier, when David was out there fighting uh, Goliath, about to fight him, if someone had come up to David, oh, don't fight Goliath, David. It'll, it, it will displease the Lord of the Philistines. David would have turned around and said, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to displease the Lord of the Philistines. I will continue to displease the Lord of the Philistines. The more I can do, I will displease the Lord of the Philistines. But he's completely changed. He's, he's wanting to stay. He's wanting to, to be part of the Philistines. It's amazing fall how this man... And this is the extent, as you will see, there's recovery, there's redemption at the end of this story, as there is for all our stories and for all our lives. Hallelujah. And so, defection becomes rejection. And it seems as if, if you read 8 and 10 of chapter 29, David really wanted to fight with the Philistines against the people of God. But God wouldn't allow it. There's some things that God will intervene. I don't know why he intervenes some things and other things seems to, to let it flow, but he's all wise. See, see, David's heart's in a bad place, but God didn't abandon him. And if you're praying for someone who's out there in the Philistine land and you think, oh, they once walked amongst the people of God, keep praying for them. God's eye is on him. And our times are in his hand. His time is in his hand. Hallelujah. And we praise him for times that, that he keeps us. And so, David and his men, they go back to Zig Ziglag. And now in chapter 30, we're nearly finished the story, and then I want to come to the conclusion. He finds he's completely at an end of himself. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 30, now it happened, and it certainly happened, but it wasn't by accident. The God has purpose for all of David's life. Even when he's in denial, in rebellion, estrangement, our times are in his hand. But things get worse. And from nowhere, out of the blue, the, uh, the Amalekites, they come and attack Ziglag when the boys are away. They burn the place and they take the wives and the children. Now, praise the Lord, 
he was, God caused the Amalekites to be merciful, and he didn't kill them. Unlike what David was doing back in 27, the restraining hand was on them. When David and his men returned, they were shocked, and you probably know this story. They wept loudly until they could weep no more. And whatever is happening, we're not told everything. A great rebellion rises up in his own men for the first time ever. They're going to, they turn against David. They're picking up stones to stone him. Now, there's a nice little cameo here. The Bible is wonderful. There's a verse in 1 Chronicles 12 that it just says this. I'll read it to you. When David went to Ziglag, those of Manasseh who defected to him were, and they list seven of these captains of thousands, they actually went and joined themselves and said, no mention of them here. You know, fair-weather friends will come and go. That's what I found in the world. Before I became a Christian, I had loads of friends. But I tell you, when the chips were down, there were very few of them would stand by it. And it's just, it's interesting that even these who joined them, they were so affected that what had happened, they're part of the gang who are going to stone him and kill him. It took a, a lot to bring David to this place seven years earlier. Remember, he had a big fan club. The women loved him. The men followed him. They wrote songs about him. He saw himself as a strong, successful man of the Lord, destined to be king. But here in chapter 30, after coming back to a burned-out ghost town, his family kidnapped, his soldiers abandoned him, so angry they wanted to stone him, he finally knew I'm in great need. And his zigzag route to Ziglag had taken him in all these sharp turns. Just... A little play on words, but it's true. He was, he, he defected, he was suspected, he was rejected, he was ejected, and now amongst his men he's dejected, and now he's subject to grief and hatred. And then we read this verse, and this is the verse, thank you for waiting, chapter 30, verse 6. We read at the beginning of it, <laughs> believe it or not, David was greatly distressed. It's, slightly, it's a slight understatement. <laughs> You know, have you ever talked to someone and, uh, and they say, oh, I'm really distressed, and you know they're not, but you talk to other people and they just say, I'm really distressed, and you know they are. But the end of the, that verse says, put your eye on it, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He yielded himself to the security of another and it took a lot to bring him in this place because his heart had gone hard. But there's something that happened there, and we're not told at all, but I believe that, that the hesed of God through the Spirit came upon him. And at that moment, he, he knew a fresh place of being accepted and connected for the first time for a long time. But I asked myself the question when I read this a few weeks ago, why would God strengthen such a backslidden, wayward David? Well, it's because of the immeasurable goodness of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Because of Hesed, God is rich in mercy, and David turns again. And sometimes we think we have to achieve blessing or strength, but David showed us that it is not that way. And he received and felt strength in his soul. No, he didn't wait around for someone else to strengthen. He didn't say, well, Lord, if, you know, if you want to strengthen me, that's fine. I'll just wait here until you do it. No, he, he was hands-on. Intuitively, he knew that the Lord's strength was there for those who wait upon him. He'd written about it in previous Psalms. And maybe this is a word even just for one person tonight, two persons, three persons. Wait upon the Lord. 
Hope will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Hesed, grace will come as you wait upon the Lord. You need to do that. You're in dangerous territory tonight, my dear friends. I don't mean everyone here, but there's someone that, that, that this has been burning on me for about 10 days, and I know it for someone who will hear this word tonight. And this is a word of warning, but it's a word of rescue and joy. Hallelujah. And then here's the important part. You read this, verse 7, chapter 30. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, please bring me, please bring the, the, the ephod here to me. And he brought the ephod to David. What's the ephod? Well, I tell you what it is. It's a special apron that was worn by the high priest to cover his clothes so that the sacrificial blood would splash on it and not on his clothes. What's that? Well, I tell you, the ephod bore the marks of the sacrificed one. Please bring me the power of the blood of the lamb and apply it spiritually. That's what we need at these moments. You know, I don't have time to go into all the symbolism and the meaning here. It's very rich. But I'll quote just a couple of verses from the New Testament. Here, here it is. This is what he was saying. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hebrews 10, 9. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You don't have to understand it all, but know this. The cross is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And maybe an hour earlier, a day earlier, a month earlier, a year earlier, this would have been foolishness to David. He hadn't asked for this maybe for four years. But as he was strengthened by the Lord, that rose up in his spirit. This is what we need to sense in our spirits when we're at this moment. And once again, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy, and I'm broken inside. Oh, thank you for the cross, Lord. Because through that, through the efficacy of the one who hung on that cross, the efficacy of, the, of, of what Jesus has done eternally, past, eternally, future, that's what ministers to us at this time. And so he asks the high priest to bring him that. He says something else. You see, the ephod also contained two stones in its pockets. It was the breastplate of judgment. These stones are called the Urim and the Thummim. And they, they, they would predict, they would bring God's word. If you asked, what, 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 what am I to do here? And sometimes the, the high priest would prophesy, or these stones would indicate. But anyway, it, to us in the new covenant, this is the, the equivalent of the word of God that comes to us by the Spirit to our hearts, usually through this book, or through a meeting, or through hearing, or as you wait upon the Lord, you hear his word. Did you know Psalm 119, it contains 176 verses, and all but four of them contain a, a term for God's word. So that's 172 verses contain a term for God's word. If you want to know the power of God's word, read 119, Psalm. Well, one verse, 49, says this, Remember, Lord, your word to your servant, upon which you have given me hope. And that's what David needed. The message of the cross brings hope. The message of the word brings hope. He said, this is my comfort and my affliction for your word has given me life. Hallelujah. His word, then you read, 
in verse 8, David inquired, what shall I do, Lord? <laughs> and his word directed him to do something. And his word gave him a promise. And his word can direct you to do something that you're not sure which way to go. You're at a crossroads. You don't know what decision. His word, wait upon the Lord. He will, he will bring forth his word to you. And of course, his word said to them, pursue, recover. And his promise was that, recover. Pursue and recover. And you know, later he, he, he went after the Amalekites and he recovered more than one what was taken. You see, being strengthened by God produces recovery. Be strengthened by His grace is not just a warm, cozy feel, but it, it, it changes us. And on their way, you will note that David had a different attitude than he's had for the last five years. See, God's strengthening had changed him. He hadn't just changed his circumstances. He changed David's heart. So, it's, the rest of this chapter is wonderful. 600 men, David, they're pursuing. 200, get tired. We don't want to cross over. We want to stay here and wait for you. They were exhausted. But David is sympathetic. He's considerate to them. He shows kindness to them. And later on, we read that when they brought back the spoil, the 400 men wanted to keep it all, and David said, no, we're going to share everything. Such a change of heart. And then on the way, he meets one hungry Egyptian young man who'd been part of the raiding party that had burnt his house, burnt his city, had been part of the raiding party that had taken over his wife and children. In other words, they would have slit his throat. But he's considerate to them. He's shown unexpected kindness to them. As I read this, I'm getting excited. This is your grace, Lord. You're changing me <laughs> from being vengeful and cynical and... and uh, obstinate and vengeful. His change is something wonderful about Hesed, even in the Old Testament. And being strengthened by God has this effect. He, David's becoming kind and generous once again. And then in verse 18 and 19, he, he recovers. There are two different words in the, in the Hebrew there. The first one in verse 18 is snatching away from the enemy. That's a type of recovery. And it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He snatched the keys away from the enemy, hallelujah. And then in verse 19, he reversed, that's where the word, he reversed things. He's reversed the, 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 the flow of sin, the, 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 oh, how are we going to be reconciled? He, he reversed all of that at the cross. And then we read of David, after this victory, it said he sent spoil, this is verse 26, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah and his friends. I was wondering, why did he do that? Well, obviously, his time among the Philistines strained relationships. And so he's making a real gesture of wanting to put things right. Grace is fantastic. Grace is powerful. Changes us as well as circumstances. It changes us in here. Hallelujah for the grace of God. And then he sends spoil, just to complete the story, from 27 to 31, he sends spoil from the battle to more than 13 cities. You know someone is experienced grace when they're generous. Do you like being with generous people? I was with one man tonight, and he paid for our meal, and we had a great meal. Generosity of people. Hallelujah. It's a sign of his grace. Anyway, in all of this, David is a picture of our Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus triumphed. When he triumphed on the cross, he won a great battle, and he had spoil to share. 
I'm quoting from Ephesians 4. It says, but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Hallelujah. Jesus is spoiled from his victory to give you even tonight. And in this regard, we're like David's men. We're like the weary ones that were left behind. We're like the Egyptian slave who was spared. We're like the spoil. David recovered. We are like the elders of Judah. We, we benefited from the spoil of the battle. And remarkably, as I said, David is like the Lord Jesus Christ. What a turnabout, brothers and sisters. Grace turns you about. Grace brings in the 180 degrees circle. Keep praying for that person. Brothers, oh, you know, oh, the dirty traitor. I'm not going to pray for him. No, no, show grace. Continue to pray. God will call them, reach out to them at a special moment. Oh, the importance of just knowing this. And, and, and this was a, a pivotal moment in the life of David. Saul, Saul dies in chapter 31, and if you continue on the story of David in 2 Samuel, he's anointed king in chapter 2, and he's 40 years of reigning. Certainly the first 20 of those were glorious. But how near he came to blowing it all. Are you glad of grace in your life tonight? Now, it's no excuse for going off and having a year off. <laughs> it isn't. But, but, but it happens. And it's maybe happening to people who you know, and your heart breaks for them. And you can pray to the God of grace. Just the continuing to be strengthened in the Lord uh, in our lives. Strength does rise as we wait upon Him. Strength comes from the immeasurable goodness of the grace of God. And that's my story. Well, that's his story to us tonight. And that's how we have church. That's how we, we live the Christian life. That's how we relate to one another, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you. Just hand over to Pastor Stephen now, who led the meeting. Oh. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Pastor Larry. You know, I want to speak to the, the person tonight who you have distanced yourself from the people that God has put you with. You've distanced yourself from the church, from, from the people of God, and you've made a choice. You've made a choice to move away from where God has put you like David did. And what happened, David, was he found himself in the enemy's camp, and there was a process to that. And friend, tonight you, you can be watching, and you have decided for one reason or other that you're going to step out of the body, step out of of the people of God. You're, you're going to step back, as it were, from, from the fellowship of the brotherhood, of, of, of just walking with the people of God. You've stepped back, and, and there's a turning in your heart. And what you'll find is that chesed or, or grace in, in your spirit for the people of God actually it, it diminishes. And, and that criticism rises, and, and you can find yourself in, in, in a place where you, you stand against 
that which you once stood for. Uh, and I want to speak to you tonight because for one reason or other you've stepped out. It could even be COVID. You've used that as your reason to step back from the place where you should be standing and where you belong and where you should be. And if you would turn in your heart and if you would, if you would uh, speak to the Lord about this, if you would repent from this, you would experience grace and you would experience love and you would experience an abundance in your life and you would experience again a generosity in your spirit for your brothers and sisters and for the people of God and for those who you belong to, for the family which God has put you in. And so tonight, I feel that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are, but God knows. God knows and he's calling out to you. And God has brought Pastor Larry here from Dublin to speak to you tonight. And so, you know, I, I call to you. It's time to turn. It's time to identify with the body to which God put you. It's time to step back into it again. This is not the time to shrink back. It's not the time to shrink back. It's the time to belong. And God would fill your spirit with grace and to be kindness from you again and a generosity and an abundance and a sharing of wealth that God has put within your spirit. And you would do that. You would speak. You would speak life to people again. And, and out of your mouth would, would come wonderful encouragements and blessings for the people and the brothers and sisters uh, who, to whom you belong. To whom you belong. Brothers and sisters, let's stay in this place of grace. God has called us to a wonderful, wonderful place of abundance, of generosity, of grace, of, of rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord God, Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word tonight, O oh God. Thank you, Lord, that your word brings life, O oh God. Oh, Lord, your word, oh God, oh, Lord, speaks life, oh God, leads us into life. Lord, it nourishes us, oh God. Lord, builds us up, oh God. Lord, and we thank you, oh God, for your grace, Lord. Oh, Lord, your grace, Lord, which is abundant, oh God. Even, Lord, when we fall, when we stumble, Lord, Lord, when we make mistakes, oh God, you pick us up, oh God. Oh, Lord, and you lift us, oh God, and you speak to us, oh God. Lord, you breathe life into us, oh God. Oh, Father, Lord, and, and, and we have joy again and peace again, oh God. Thank you. You, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And tonight, Lord, we pray, Lord, for those, Lord, oh, Lord, who find themselves, Lord, graceless, oh, God, who find themselves dry, Lord, and withered, oh, God. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, Lord, speak to them again, Jesus, Lord. Speak to them again, oh, God. Lord, Lord, speak to them, Lord, and breathe your life into them, Jesus. Oh, Lord, nourish them, oh, God. We love them, Lord. Lord, they're ours, oh, God. Oh, Father, Lord, Lord, they belong to us, Lord. We're brothers and sisters, oh, God. Oh, Lord, and we pray, Lord, for those, Lord, who are in need, Lord. Lord, tonight, oh, God, would you come, Lord, speak to them, Lord. Lord, speak love to them, Lord, and, Lord, draw them again, Lord. And, oh, Father, Lord, Lord, there's faces, Lord, that we haven't seen, Lord, even in this church, Lord, in a while, oh, God. Lord, we pray, Lord, you draw them in, Jesus. Draw them in, oh, God. Oh, Lord, we love them, oh, God. We miss them, Jesus. Lord, draw them in, 
oh God, thank you, Lord, we can ask you, oh God. Oh, Lord, go to them, Jesus, Lord. Lord, with your sweet spirit, Lord. And, oh, Lord, speak to them again, Jesus, Lord. And, oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, Lord, for amazing grace, oh, God. Amazing grace, Lord. Lord, reaching into our darkness, oh, God. Lord, bringing us to light, Lord. Thank you, oh, God. Thank you, oh, God. Thank you, oh, God. Amen. Amen. Praise God, brothers and sisters. What, what a wonderful word. Pastor Larry, you ministered to me tonight, and I thank you very, very much for that and for your good wife for bringing you down as well. <laughs> it's lovely to have you with us. What a wonderful word, brothers and sisters. What a wonderful word. What a wonderful grace, abundant grace poured out upon us. You know, before you leave tonight, encourage your brother or sister. You know, if God's putting somebody on your heart to reach out to, send them that text. You know, send them that email. You know, give them a call. You know, tell them you miss them and, and encourage them. Uh, to come back in again or just reach out to them and, and show them love, show them kindness. Amen. That's the grace of God, abundant towards us so we can be abundant towards others. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at courtchurch.com or just check out our website www.courtchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.